Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of Driving the Deal. I'm Brian Fortune, head of the Farragut Square Group and part of McDermott Consulting. This episode, we are focusing on a very successful conference in London, the London uh, HPE Conference. And with us, as always, is our wonderful friend and London colleague, Sharon Lamb, to talk about that. Welcome, Sharon. Yeah. Hey, Brian. Really pleased to be here. Uh, excited to be talking about the London and European markets. Absolutely. So let's just kind of kick off. This was a, this turned out to be a really great conference. I mean, I think you guys sort of broke some records. Tell us a little bit about who all was there. Yeah, so yeah, record attendance this year, perhaps reflecting the continued interest in health and life sciences investing across Europe and globally. Our attendance grew by 20%. So we had over 350 people registered to attend um, and the sessions were packed. We to run a waiting list on our sector focused roundtables and we were concerned we were going to, we had standing room only for most of our panels. The types of people attending, you know, what you would expect 40% private equity or investors, 4 5% of lenders, and then uh, portfolio companies, healthcare providers across the industry. So it was a really great mix between industry and investors, of course, alongside our esteemed McDermott colleagues. Well, that's right. And, and the mix is interesting too, right? Because you know, obviously, a lot of the European funds and the UK ones, uh, you know, usually have a pretty good footprint in, uh, in US assets as well. So, you know, I thought there was a, an interesting mix. U.S.-based funds are funds that we're looking into the U.S. as well as companies, yeah? Yeah, that remains, I mean, that remains a huge focus of European assets, particularly those on the pharma and pharma services. We just see those markets as global providers and the parts of the service and supply chain simply operate to a global customer base. And so expanding um, into the U.S. is a crucial market. You won't be surprised to learn that there was some discussion about what the impact of U.S. drug pricing might be on some of these subsectors, but we can come on to that. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about a little bit about what we learned at this conference. I mean, you know, obviously, I think the the first subject that has come up in uh, in any of our conferences, and, and especially now as we head into the fall, is state of the deal market. How are things going? Where are th- people thinking they're going to go? Yeah, well, you won't be surprised to learn that there was quite a lot of discussion about the state of the market in 2023 and how that was so much different to the prior years. It's clearly been a difficult year for investors across all asset classes, but also in healthcare. And the key point that kept on coming up was the valuations and multiples simply couldn't increase on prior years and that there was a mismatch in buyer and seller expectations. You know, having said that, um, it remains clear that assets that were described as tier A compared to those that might be tier B continued to be extremely exciting investments and those deals have got away Whereas ones where there may be question marks over um, kind of future operations, estimated, estimated EBITDA looking a little bit optimistic, those ones have just been slower to get off the blocks. I think another thing that we've seen this year, and this is just reflecting, is uh, the rise of what we call the, the non-process process. So rather right. than formal, <laughs> rather than formal auction processes kicking off. Uh, we've seen some soft launches of assets, sounding out interests, understanding credit appetite um, and ensuring that kind of when assets get away, there's a more kind of secure route. That's really led to longer deal cycles. So, 
you know, with Arthur discipline of an auction timetable, uh, you do see drift. And and another element of that, of course, is that the front loading of diligence. I mean, that's yeah. probably a big feature compared to, you know, the heady days of 2021 20, when, you know, deals the, the speed of deal closure was simply quicker and there wasn't the time to kind of really look under the hood. So, of course, as a healthcare private equity specialist, I'd say that was a good thing, but definitely a change in uh, in change in attitude and increased caution ahead of acquisition. Yeah, everyone everyone's searching for the, the new normal. So that's had a wonderful array of panels kind of running through things. But why don't we start off with spaces where you think there's a fair amount of tailwinds in healthcare? You mentioned pharma services. Yeah, so, I mean, pharma services continues to be like a area for investing. But what was really clear from, we ran actually two sessions on this. We had a, a separate industry-specific roundtable that was oversubscribed in the morning and a session later in the afternoon that seemed that focused significantly on pharma services and looked at the subsectors of that. And there continues to be investment into the manufacturing space, particularly around specialty pharma. So that was a clear theme for the day. Alongside looking in the panels looked at what was described, not my words, but the better words of our panelists, the golden age of innovation in healthcare. We looked at advances in drugs and in particular in cell and gene therapies. You know, those therapeutics have built significantly on the learning gain through the pandemic. And another another feature here was um, the integration between drug development and diagnostics and how that's contributing to a step change in how things are being done. Right. You know, looking at other other subsectors, we there was another kind of hot topic was medtech, particularly looking at the supply chain to medtech. So if we look at pharma and we look at how the suppliers to pharma have been outsourced. One of the topics was, are we to see that medical devices and med tech increase? And that actually reflects some of the deals that we've seen this year. That market remains really fragmented. There's smaller players. There's been huge regulatory change. And so outsourcing some of that supply makes sense and can find kind of a value in the market. Now, obviously, you're, I know when European funds or, or funds in general are looking at you, they're looking more at pharma pharma device plays and less at, at healthcare services. But it seems like a theme this year has just been, there's definitely been a greater weight even in the US on pharma, pharma services, devices, and, and maybe less so on, on healthcare services. You know, I don't know if the consensus was that, that was driven by valuations and, and financing questions or or just a, a kind of an opportunistic shift. Yeah, I, I, I that's an interesting point. Of course, you know, healthcare services across Europe is... Um, it's not a kind of homogenous uh, market because every country has its own regulatory system and facing distinct challenges. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely some themes across all the markets in Europe. So can't speak in any country where you're not talking about staffing challenges or the cost of energy or the impact that increasing inflation has had on you know, services. So I mean, they're definitely common themes. But I think one of the reasons that we see cross-border investors looking to pharma services is because those businesses are naturally global. They have global customers. They have a very similar regulatory framework nationally, and it just makes it a somewhat simpler a simpler analysis. That's not to say that health healthcare services is being ignored. In fact, some of our panelists commented that, in fact, they thought those areas were ripe for investment again. 
and that we would see continued kind of growth in that space in the coming years. We did pick up some concerns about reputational risk. So I do think there is some hesitancy where the asset may have underlying what we might say reputational concerns. So maybe more on the behavioral care, the health side, or where governments are focusing on things that have gone wrong. I mean, things go wrong in healthcare. That's just the nature of it. Right. Um, in this market, are investors ready to take that risk alongside what they might see as uh, valuation risk and kind of general caution is, a, is another question. Is that hesitancy kind of unique more to our European friends? You know, obviously over here, I think even even from Farragut's perspective, like behavioral is pretty busy every year. It's probably about a third of our total deal flow. Yeah, I think it's just that there have been there's been quite a lot of consolidation in the market. So that might be one feature. And I think that it will continue to to grow. It's just perhaps that this last deal cycle hasn't been as big a focus as other sectors. Yeah. And actually, you know, if you have everyone focusing on what what the pharma services and you know, med tech and you know, we can come on to other other subsectors. I think that does mean that you'd you'd have some real opportunities in health healthcare services and care assets. Let's go macro for a minute and and kind of step back to the top. Uh, you know, one thing we always do is we catch up with uh, a lot of our friends in the investment banker world. So, what was the big takeaway from the uh, from the banker side in terms of kind of economic themes and you know how it's going to ripple through to the market? Good question. I think we're probably seeing similar themes that you're seeing in the U.S. Just a slower market. The importance of having a clear story to tell about an asset with the potential to improve and to grow. There was a focus on add-ons rather than kind of new platforms. But But the underlying theme here was a mismatch in pricing expectations, leading to kind of a bifurcation of deal activity. We spoke quite a lot about differences in deal structures. So, you know, looking looking at the increase in take privates and club deals, minority deals, and question mark whether there'd be an increase in continuation funds. Uh, we think that, you know, when it comes to exit, there might have been a shift in the buyer landscape in favor of strategic. So that's those looking for a longer play. And whether those themes will remain into 2024, well, I think we'll, we'll wait to see. That's right. Very good. Uh, so obviously, we've got some very interesting market dynamics going on. And one thing you're seeing is that, you know, the credit markets are obviously less active than they've been before. But um, you know, what, what's sort of the message on how, how buyers in the market uh, or, or even sellers are, are kind of reacting to all this? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing is clear. Um, it seems like the era of cheap debt is undoubtedly over. Um, no more free money. <laughs> access to finance providers, you know, more limited. No question about that. One of the things that came out from our discussions was that the uncertainty was really highlighting how important it was to have strong relationships with lenders. Um, And that's certainly been a feature of the deal market this year. And lenders being more focused on risk than they are on absolute returns. One point that was made was that there was kind of certain that the private credit market was going to continue to grow, but that we would also expect kind of bank lenders to be more active in 2024 with possibly a revival of the syndicated market. The hope is, of course, that interest rates have finally peaked. Well, you know, I, 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 will, I will tell you that, obviously, you know, having amazingly been mm-hmm. in this business for, for long enough, I, you know, I remember that, you know, we had a pretty healthy deal market for a long time, but we had a healthy deal market in the mid-2000s, and the, the rates at the time were, were basically exactly what they are now. So people still want to transact, and they, they, get, they, they find ways to adjust to the sort of the new conditions. 
So obviously we try to look ahead to the future. And um, I know we touched on this a little bit again, but let's sort of go back there. You know, uh, you know, obviously, especially the in Europe with their focus on you know international markets. Let's talk about sectors that really are hot because they're futuristic. They're you know shaping the future of the whole healthcare landscape, pharma services, drug discovery, and and whatnot. Yeah. So on the drug discovery side, one area that that got a lot of interest was AI and drug discovery and that potential for that. I have to say, some panelists recognise that there are some concerns about: is AI just the shiny new thing? Have we suddenly found that every business has an element of AI in it? And also questions about whether when uh, we're talking about AI and drug discovery or in other fields, whether we're really talking about a black box where unclear what data went in and unclear what data went out and being able to talk in transparent, clear terms about what algorithm has actually been used, you know, is really, really important. And I think we've seen this now in guidance that's come out from European Medicines Agency and the FDA about really being able to justify the models and approaches used in AI when those products are being used. And I think that was a key theme alongside the kind of questions on bioethics for the use of those technologies. Now, that was an interesting discussion. Other discussions that were focused on other sectors that have maybe been unloved, women's health, for example, and and therapies for women being an area where there really could be growth, growth in services. Do you think there's a difference shaping up in kind of the regulatory attitude towards AI between like the European authorities and, and the US? I can't talk for the US, although I'm watching it keenly, but uh, the Europeans are enacting the AI Act, which I think is going to be complicated. It's imposing an additional certification on top of what would already be the certification for AI in Europe. So kind of a double layer of regulation. And what we have seen is that almost every regulator has come out with their policy document on on AI. Not all of these consistent. So I think we could have a patchwork of different regulatory environments, which is going to be complicated and expensive. The UK has taken a different approach to Europe. They're adopting principles and keeping to regulator, you know, regulatory focus by subsector. So Information Commission will have their own guidance. The MHRA will have their own guidance. I think that's possibly a helpful way through, but I still think we're going to have overlapping guidance on the same topic. I think people, the regulators, lawmakers are feeling their way through here. And perhaps it's just been a spotlight because you and I and others have worked out what ChatGBT can do to our essay writing. Absolutely. So so as we wrap this up, it's an interesting theme. I mean, I, I think over and over again, I hear that both in terms of funds with their port codes or just people out there in the deal market trying to make new acquisitions that, you know, there, there's definitely been a lot of prep work. And, and there's also a lot of, uh, I think, optimism that we're seeing things pick up, particularly into next year. So did you take away similar things from, from your crowd? Yeah, a uh, real optimism about 2024. We know that there have been processes stalled where there are good assets out there, there's dry powder, and there's enthusiasm to do deals. Yes, we think the focus on diligence and being careful will continue at least in the first part of 24, uh, but all the signs are there for a recovery. Uh, And more importantly, there was kind of energy and we know deals being done. Yeah, so all in all, Brian, I think that things are looking up in 2024, um, and we know that there are uh, make some exciting assets out there and investors with an appetite to do deals. So hopefully that's good news for those companies looking to get away and for those looking to invest. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much as always. It's uh, always great to chat. And, you know, again, congratulations. You guys have really uh, put yourselves on the map over the last several years with uh, the London conference. And um, 
you know, it's really been, uh, been going well, picking up steam. Yeah, it was exciting. Exciting to see people doing deals, our kind of meeting space booked out, and, and just an opportunity for everybody in the community, health and kind of Black Sciences community to get together. That's what we aim to do, is to have a space where collaboration can happen and deals can be done. Excellent. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Final thoughts, or I would uh, announce a few things in the future. For those of you who are focused on pharma or life sciences, another great conference, Sharon knows pretty well, will be our own European Health and Life Sciences Symposium that will be in Paris on November 7th. So those of you who are interested, if you want more information, please, uh, you know how to reach us. Happy to give you the rest of those details. So thank you once again for joining us. Always happy to be here and have a great time. We'll talk to you again soon. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.